If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. recently recorded what's become an annual tradition. We uh, This is the third year that we've done a uh, learning trends and learning predictions webinar, and we thought it would be good to talk about some of the concepts and topics that we raise in that webinar here on the podcast. Yeah, and I'll say if, before we jump into those, um, it, it was amazing to see how many people showed up for that podcast. We had uh, for that a, webinar. A webinar, that's right. <laughs> Hopefully the same number gonna, or more are going to show up for this <laughs> podcast. But we had about 350 people uh, sign up for that webinar. That's become incredible increasingly popular over the years and you know we talk about uh, what we see as major learning trends and make some forecast predictions uh, for going forward and so we thought we'd highlight two of those in this episode uh, one of them being a concept we're calling grand design learning and another one being boutique learning so two two takes on learning that uh, organizations in the learning business might want to think about and uh, tune into in the in the coming years so Jeff why don't you start by telling us just a little bit about design thinking which sort of underlies your your prediction for the the grand design learning yeah design thinking was really the the trend that I tuned into and um, not not really a new trend it's been around for a while certainly folks in the um, the software world in particular have been thinking about design thinking for a while um, and I think it's most associated with the firm IDEO which is a creative firm that's been involved in all sorts of uh, projects and, and its founder David Kelly who came out of the um, Stanford Design School but um, you know I see design thinking is, is really just a term that's become trendy for a, a fairly common sense way of creating value um, so basically you observed what people actually do you know what their situation actually is you explore the possibilities for improving that situation and then you you create testable solutions and you keep improving upon those um, based on your testing so it's very human involved um, you know it's not just we think we know what the problem is and here's a solution and we're going to impose it uh, there's a, a good bit of ambiguity you go out and explore and again you know based on testing you're going to develop uh, your solutions works very well with software design I think it also works very well with learning well it sounds like like uh, ties into a concept that I know we've uh, written about uh, a lot, the, the minimum viable product. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the minimum viable product is uh, an outgrowth of design thinking. I don't know that I've ever heard that actually said, but but clearly, you know, it's based on those, um, you know, same sorts of principles. And I think, you know, any trend like this catches on because, you know, there's just there's something to it. There's something fundamental that's somehow been, you know, forgotten or, or lost um, that we just need to, to revive. And I think design thinking overall is just an attempt to take a, a much more human centered approach, um, you know, in, in, in anything we do. And, and certainly with what we're talking about, you know, in how we think about uh, designing and developing learning experiences. We want to be, you know, make sure that uh, we truly are tuning into the learner situation all the time when we're developing learning and being very intentional about that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good lip service paid to being learner-centered, um, but but I think the design thinking really gives you a way to make sure that you're doing that. Yeah, and so, you know, one of the things we got asked on the um, the, the webinar that I uh, certainly wanted to make sure we, we highlight here is, you know, to get, to get some examples of design thinking um, as we head towards what, what I'm uh, have termed uh, kind of grand uh, design learning um, that the organizations may want to think about. So, you know, an example, and, I, and I'll preface this by saying that design thinking is really 
everywhere. And I, don't, I think it's kind of artificial to say, oh, this problem was solved by design thinking mm. and this problem was solved by a more you know, analytical approach. That's almost never the case. I mean, there are elements of design thinking in, in just about everything. There are elements of more you know, analytical, traditional problem-solving approaches in, in just about anything. You know, and, and trying to tease them apart as that sort of you know, angels on the head of a pen uh, <laughs> uh, sort of thing. But that said, you know, some things are clearly a little more design-oriented in, in, in their approach than others. And so you know, one uh, scenario I'll, I'll highlight, and this is one that often I think gets um, highlighted in the context of talking about design thinking, is to, to look at a problem like uh, childhood obesity and um, you know, how you might uh, approach something like that. And uh, you know, there's a firm, I believe it was that Daylight, I think is the name of the, the, the firm that uh, kind of worked on this and, and took a, a design approach. But um, you know, they wanted to be able to get kids to, to move more, basically, is you know, that's kind of underlying the obesity problem is kids just aren't necessarily getting enough exercise. So how do you address that? And so, you know, they started out with a, with an idea, with a theory, and this is often the case with the design thinking you've got an idea, you think you've got something you want to test out um, or that's going to work, but you do want to test it out. Sometimes it's much more ambiguous than that. You really have no idea and you're just going to kind of dive in and see what the possibilities are. But in this case, I mean, they, they had an idea. Um, they were going to provide kids with a, a digital music player that had a motion sensor in it and then provide rewards based on the kids, you know, listening to music and moving and then the kid you know gets something as, as a result of having done that so the question was you know are our kids going to do this if, if we're going to give them this kind of uh, music player you know are they actually going to use it are they going to use it long enough to actually get any kind of health benefits so they wanted to take that theory out there and test it and again testing is very you know uh, that's the center of design-based thinking so they got out there and they spent time, you know, talking to and probably more importantly, watching kids in, in different places uh, across the country in their homes and at schools and just trying to learn from what they were actually doing, um, you know, figuring out what their motivations were, what their habits were, what kind of things really got them, you know, excited and delighted, what kinds of things were frustrating them. And they, they looked at average kids. Uh, so, you know, what you would expect a, a typical kid to be doing in terms of movement. But then they also looked at, you know, kind of the, the super movers, um, the, the kids who were really, really active and then the more sedentary kids and, and they tried to you know uh, factor in all of those into their thinking and they, they found out that the kids who were kind of more at the extremes those who were you know the super movers or the really sedentary ones often were much better at kind of articulating some of the key problems and, and, uh, and, and frustrations and the things that made them excited you know about uh, moving so they were able to, to take that and working with the, those kids and, and based on you know capturing you know, tons of observations and they put all these on post-it notes and, and design thinking can be very visual you know you, you want to capture stuff and put it together in a way that people can look at it so they put all the post-it notes up for you know the, the, the group that was working on it to, to look at and from that they extracted patterns and they were looking for you know the opportunities that were there and you know some of the things that emerged a lot of things emerged but some of the key ones were that um, you know kids really liked socially oriented games they didn't really necessarily like the solo game where they did something and then got you know told that was a good thing they wanted it to be in, in more of a, a of a social situation like a lot of you know multiplayer video games are these days you know people are, are playing video games socially across the internet um, and they also didn't necessarily like wearing something like an iPod and listening to music when they were exercising because they wanted to be able to talk with their friends. Um, and so they didn't necessarily have on earphones and things like that. They were actually communicating. So those are two big clues. And they got other clues out of it. But, you know, that, that led to a, a design principle. And the, you know, the core of design thinking is that you, you, you find these patterns and then you pull your design principles out of those patterns that you're actually seeing uh, the, the people that you're trying to serve involved in. And in this case, you know, 
know, social interaction and being able to facilitate social interaction through whatever the solution was going to be was a clear design principle for them to embrace. And there were other design principles, but that's a, a key one that came out of this. So they moved from there into you know specific ideas and, proto and prototypes, and you know in this case they made some cardboard prototypes and, and drawings and things that the kids could actually react to and play with. And again, they, they observed that as they moved towards what they were actually going to create. And what they wound up with was not the digital music player that they um, you know thought they were going to uh, create from the beginning, but actually a very small activity monitor that could be clipped onto somebody's you know belt or just you know the side of their pants um, could be put into their pockets. Um, and that would actually, you know, uh, track the activity that a kid was engaged in. But then it was easily uploadable into a portal where that could be shared. The data could be shared. Stories around that data could be shared with peers, with family. You know, this is a while back. You can already see sort of the Fitbit type thing emerging here. And, uh, you know, we have an eight-year-old who's fascinated with the, the Fitbit. Um, and I can see how, uh, you know, watching kids, you would, you would get to uh, this idea. And then they took that, you know, after they came out with this activity monitor, did a clinical trial for six months and saw 59 percent uh, improvement in the, 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 you know, the rate of activity among the kids that were actually using the monitor. So, you know, that's a way of, you know, starting with, a, with an idea, but really going out and, and really involving yourself with the audience that you're trying to uh, serve, um, observing them, uh, talking with them, and then testing out some ideas based on what, are, what you're getting back from them. It sounds very simple, but, you know, we all know that uh, most of the time we're just not as conscious of that. We're not as intentional about doing that as we should be, and particularly for any sort of learning experience. And this was fundamentally a learning experience that we're talking about here. That kind of thinking is, is instrumental. Well, I think it also is important to think about, like you said, it's not all that hard, but it does take time. And so making sure that you're allowing for that type of um, interplay with, with the learners that you're seeking to serve, you've got to build that into your development timeline. Definitely. You know, somebody in the, the webinar asked, you know, how does this change the instructional designer's role? And for me, you know, the, the instructional designer becomes a, a much more active person. I mean, you're, you're out there in the field, you're, you're in the arena, so to speak, you're in the midst of things, and you're, you're collecting that data. And then, you know, you're going back and collaborating and sharing and talking this through. Uh, this is a very collaborative uh, sort of process. You're both interacting with your audience, but then also, you know, the, the people who are coming up with the ideas are typically collaborating together to do that uh, as well. And so, you know, where this then tips into what I'm calling uh, grand design thinking is when you look at the, the world of, of learning and what's going on out there in the whole landscape right now, you know, on the, on the one hand, we've seen just this really, you know, huge explosion in the different formats and, and the channels that are available. So you've got mobile, you've got micro, you've got, you know, massive open online courses, MOOCs, uh, gamification, you've got social learning, you've got informal learning. So all of these different options now. And you've also got opportunities of scale, like you've never been there before. I already referenced, you know, massive open online courses, but all sorts of ways to reach, you know, massive groups of learners. And then I think you combine that with what's a, you know, a central theme for us here on the Leading Learning Podcast and with our leading learning efforts in general. And that is the concept of, you know, trying to lead learning broadly across whatever field, industry, sector, audience um, that you're serving. So bring all of those three factors together. And I think, you know, as we think about learning and the design of learning going forward, um, I characterize it as thinking in terms of, of the grand design of, of whatever uh, we're creating. And that takes really 
kind of two forms. One is grand just in the sense of being able to connect all of those dots that I just referenced, you know, the formats, the channels, um, you know, the, the, the broad base of learners that, that you might be able to access now, uh, and being able to connect all those in a, in a way that, you know, brings them together and, and creates a learning experience that's, you know, not just about a course, that's not just about a conference, it's not just about a webinar, um, that's not even just about, you know, a, an online community or, or you know, a less formal uh, type of learning, but really combines all all of those things in a way that optimally uh, realizes the possibilities for the learner um, and, and helps them to, you know, really have an impactful learning experience. And, and I think that that really is thinking about the, the process of learning on, on a grander scale and, and really incorporating together um, the pieces that are available. And the other way I think about grand, and, and this is even bigger grand, this is in the, you know, kind of aligns with the obesity issue that uh, we talked about earlier, is that, you know, most organizations that, that are serving an industry or a field um, want to create change in that industry or field. They want to address a significant problem or a significant uh, opportunity. They want to be able to you know, raise the bar, move the dial across the sector that they're serving. And I think to you know, create that sort of large-scale uh, change, that's where this grand design uh, learning comes uh, into play and, and using design thinking in that way to say, okay, you know, we are really going to tackle this significant issue or this significant opportunity across our sector because we are thinking about design in a way that incorporates all of the possibilities that are now available to us in creating learning experiences. So that's, you know, that's the bones of, um, of grand design. And I think this is a concept we'll be digging into a, a lot over time. We're just kind of at the beginning of, of thinking about it uh, right now. But um, raise that during the webinar. It got a lot of interest. We got a lot of dialogue around that, a lot of good questions. And so we're looking forward to exploring that one more going forward. And so the other um, prediction that we talked about uh, in the webinar that we want to touch on in this podcast is um, boutique learning, which is a, a term that we came up with. And um, just as the grand design thinking that you talked about, Jeff, came out of this kind of design thinking trend, boutique learning is sort of a, our prediction for the future based on um, the current personalized learning trend. And again, that's not a new trend, certainly been around uh, a long time. Um, personalized learning is basically this this idea that you're going to um, tailor the, the curriculum or the learning environment um, to the learners uh, so that it's appropriate um, for those learners. They're different learning needs or different goals with learning. Um, and I think increasingly personalization of learning has come to rely on technology. Um, and I know that um, this year I've just seen uh, a lot of that come across. I'm thinking about Newton um, as it's putting forth a lot of curriculum in the sort of K through 12 space and really it's gotten pretty sophisticated with its uh, algorithms and just kind of the the breadth of, and depth of its uh, content so that it can make some uh, recommendations to students there happen very quickly and, and, and easily. And I think that's, it's a great thing in many ways that technology has made personalized learning much more of a, of a reality because one of the, I think, um, hindrances to personalized learning has always just been how much time it would take to, you know, sit down and really develop a personalized curriculum for, you know, every individual learner. That's just usually prohibitive for the facilitator or, or teacher. So technology has gotten a lot better with some of those uh, 
algorithms and automated recommendations, and that's great in many ways, but it also seems like there are downsides. There are downsides. Yeah. It seems like there's some risks there that you know if we um, are relying solely on technology, then we're sort of eliminating um, the human from that learning equation, and we just know how important social is for learning. How there's that human to human. Contact that often drives learning, even in that o- obesity, uh, you know, example you were sharing. It's that the kids wanted to talk and interact. Yeah, and it's it's funny. I think in in, in both of these uh, trends predictions that um, that we're talking about here, you know, there's this tension, there's this interplay between the the technological possibilities and and the human uh, at, at the center of it, and just making sure that um, that you do stay focused uh, on the human, that you know the, the, the technology gets leveraged for the possibilities that it creates, but it doesn't dominate in the end. And so the idea with boutique learning is that it would really be more about personal learning rather than personalized learning, mm-hmm. just to kind of use that, that linguistic difference there. You know, I think the isation of it kind of being the, all the technology there and that it, despite the fact that it's, um, you know, personal, it also can seem a little bit more removed because it does often lack that human element. Beware the isation. That might be our, <laughs> our tagline for this podcast. Um, and so, you know, with boutique learning, it really is about a focus on the personal. And if we just, you know, if we look to say retail, which is kind of where the whole term boutique came out of, if you think about actual boutique shops, I mean, they they differ from traditional retailers in a few ways. And and one of those ways is, is size, right? You know, the boutique store is, is smaller than your big box store. And, and so I think that that's an element of boutique learning is that it has to be kind of smaller in scale than, you know, your massive you know, 50,000 attendee, um, you know, conference or, or event. It needs to be something smaller on scale so it can feel more personal. Um, again, in the retail world, you think about the inventory. The boutique shops don't offer everything. They're not the one-stop shops. They offer a much more limited inventory. So I think with be- with boutique learning, then there's a focus on, on a specialized audience or clientele and then the the inventory the the products and services that are really going to serve um that audience that clientele uh boutique shops um i I was reading uh, one place where they were talking about uh the difference between kind of again the larger retailers and and boutiques and they were talking about the difference often comes down to a company versus product passion so this idea that you know boutique stores often come out of um, uh, the founders kind of really passion for whatever it is you know mm-hmm. so if they, if they love wine then mm-hmm. you know that's behind their boutique wine store um, whereas you have if you have the larger real uh, retailers it's usually more driven by just kind of a that passion for the company for building a company for you know the kind of pure entrepreneurial generic entrepreneurial sort of uh, dream there and I thought that was a really interesting point because I think that too, could apply to boutique learning in the sense of I think it's really got to be that passion about serving that particular clientele with that inventory you have and I think it gets actually I think this ties in very nicely to that grand design thinking around kind of that moving the dial that grand mm-hmm. part of it you know what what is your passion what is it that you yeah. want to drive what change do you want to make what impact do you want to have and so I think that's a good differentiator too yeah and I'll pick up on on two threads there you know one is that that kind of passion thread and 
you know, when I think about um, boutique learning, there, there are a lot of parallels that can be drawn between what's happened in the music business and, and what's happening in the, the learning business in terms of, of scale and digitalization. And, you know, uh, you got iTunes out there. You can get anything anytime with, with music, just like you can go online and get just about any course on anything at this point. But it's been funny in the midst of everything that's happened with uh, music and digitization, what's come back very strongly mm-hmm vinyl records mm-hmm. i think vinyl you know is a, is the is the boutique arena of uh of music and that's where people get very very passionate so i think i think passion is something to look for and then i think you know for so many organizations boutique is going to involve what they are really uniquely good at it really gets to the heart of their value proposition and we, we talk a lot about the value ramp and we'll, we'll include some links to that in the show note and this idea that you know there's a certain portion of your portfolio that's very high value and can typically be you know much higher price than everything else and that it's hard for anybody to get anywhere else and i think you know that's a place where boutique learning fits in um ex- extremely well and i think you know organizations increasingly need you know you're, you're of course you're going to continue your conferences we're not saying you know get rid of your online course catalog but i think increasingly to look for those opportunities in boutique learning that that really stand you out because those are what's going to help build your brand those are what's going to help bring people to the other parts of your portfolio yeah and i think on that upper uh, end of the value ramp i mean you know that's where it's one of a kind and that's very different than the one stop shop you know so one of a kind rather yeah. than one stop and and to your point too again right we're not saying you have to get rid of maybe some more of the um big retailer type uh, approaches to education i mean you have boutique brands that exist as basically sub brands. I was um, looking at uh, the Nobu Hotel, which is uh, basically like a separate hotel within Caesar's Palace. You know, so it has different check-in and mm. different feel and all of that. So, I mean, I think I think where I see it probably fitting for the majority of associations is that it it is a sub brand. It, it's not necessarily re- replacing all of your education, but being very aware of okay, where would it make sense to be boutique, and you know, who is that clientele. What is that inventory that they're going to value? What is the passion that's um, taking us to serve this clientele with with these products and services? Right. And so, uh, you know, practically speaking, if I'm you know listening to this from an organization, I think, okay, what what do I do with this grand design thinking? What do I do with boutique learning? You know, I'd say on the the design front, um, to to start with, uh, some of the the you know the obvious and low-hanging fruit that your organization has i think a great place to, to apply design thinking and then to, to parlay that into more of a grand design approach is to look at something like your your conferences um you know potentially put together a a, a swat team of you know attendees volunteers your staff that are going to use that conference environment to, to to really explore the possibilities and, and observe how people are engaging in that conference environment um, how they're interacting with each other um, talk to them about the experience what's working what's not at a much deeper level than you get from just you know the, the standard evaluation uh, that you get back from people and figure out you know how could it be reconfigured how could the sessions be reconfigured how could the you know the the overall conference agenda be reconfigured and then you know to take it to more of that grand level to start thinking outside the conference and saying okay how do we meaningfully link this into our online communities into our online courses start creating connections that aren't about an event um, but that are about a process um, and about, you know, an overall really movement, um, you know, to, to move the dial, as, as we've talked about in the learning that we're trying to provide for our sector. So, you know, start with something you've already got, um, really explore the possibilities there in an intentional way, looking at how, you know, 
actual human beings are interacting and learning and, uh, and then leverage out from there. And I think in terms of boutique learning, um, what you can do is begin to think about, okay, where would it make sense to focus our, our efforts? What do we have um, that unique expertise in? Where um, would we be most valued? And uh, I will say, you just mentioned conferences in terms of starting with grand design thinking. The one thing I will say about boutique learning is I don't think it implies anything about particular format. I mean, you know, I don't think this is, if we think too much about, you know, big box retailers versus boutique re- retailers, you may be thinking place-based, but I think it can happen online. Right, and I online. think that's true with both of these, yeah. Don't, don't get too, too wed to any sort of format. Um, you, you've, got, you've got possibilities, basically, so explore those possibilities. And so obviously this leaves a lot of room for uh, you to plug in. You know, we're just bringing the, the kind of big picture predictions. You have to do the work to translate and apply them in your organization. But I think it's going to be really exciting in the years to come to see uh, whether these predictions pan out, how they pan out, um, as we think they will um, evolve. And, and I'm just really excited about the potential for learning and uh, the lifelong learning market. Uh, it's, it's an amazing time to be involved in, in, the, in the world of learning and, and education and, and specifically in this world of lifelong learning that we are involved in. And of course, we are going to continue to talk about it uh, week after week here on the Leading Learning Podcast. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll say once again, as we always do, that um, A, you can get show notes. Um, and I do recommend getting the show notes for, for this episode because we've you know referenced quite a few things that we will link to. And that's something we do in the, the show notes. So you can get links to things that we've talked about here. And, and also, you know, we provide notes just to help you kind of get through um, and, and review and, and reflect on, on what's been said. So if you want to get uh, those show notes, please visit leadinglearning.com forward slash episode 17. And while you're there, of course, pay attention to the subscription options if you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, because you can get this very conveniently delivered to your uh, smartphone or or other uh, device of choice. So um, take advantage of subscribing to the podcast. And also, please take a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. You can go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, It makes a world of difference. We like hearing from you, and it also helps others find the podcast. And we've said uh, at least a few times during the podcast today that learning is a social experience. We hope you will uh, share this in in your network. We make that easy for you to do. All you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com forward slash share, and that will pop up a tweet that you can just send right out or you can change the language in it. If you're not into tweeting, you can take that same language and take it over to Facebook, take it to LinkedIn, uh, wherever you want to, and share it with others. But we do ask you to to please spread the word about the, the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.